BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. I want to start it by introducing Wesley. Um, yep. Yep. So let's get. Uh, I'll, I'll set it up and then I'll have Yeah, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Cool. All right, everybody. This is the Tech Meme Ride Home Experience for Tuesday, April 20th, 2021. Today was an auspicious day for the Apple event, the unveiling of a number of things which we're going to talk about today. Um, a reminder that this show is essentially the after show of the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, which Brian is the host of. And we like to talk about anything that's going on in the tech world from a product design market, uh, computer history, internet history perspective to try to put these things into context, to read the tea leaves, to understand what's going on and why, what pressures are on these things and what might cause them to go in one direction or another into the future. And so with that, I will hand it off to Brian, who would like to introduce a new guest today. Yes. Um, so Wesley is um, a, a member in good standing of the Mutant Podcast Army. Uh, a, a listener to the show for I think a long time, uh, but I actually um, got introduced to him. We uh, were on a, a, a Twit uh, Leo Laporte's show together, um, <laughs> and uh, Wesley I, I believe is based out of Austin. But Wesley, tell us anything you want to say about you, uh, or, or you know, promo anything. But like, I, I'd like you to be the the co-host all night. Thank you, thank you for the stage. Uh, my name is Wesley Faulkner. I'm a developer advocate for a company called Daily at daily.co. Uh, they provide an API for video chat, also audio chats, similar to Twitter spaces. Um, if you're familiar with Agora, with Clubhouse, um, we do a similar service um, with video and audio. And that's D-A-I-L-Y dot C-O. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah, Chris is a, Chris is a much better host than me. <laughs> you know, there's so many different ways to spell things these these days. It's just it's very important. Um, Wesley, thanks for joining us. And uh, you know, look, there's no like we're not formal uh, table stuff here. <laughs> let let me let me set let me set the table by saying this before we get into the details of what happened today. Um, you, you know how I do the show is like you know I I. I have to scramble on days like today and, and like uh, watch everything, write it up as soon as I can and get it out as soon as possible. Um, you know, they hit, I swear to God, on the hour on the hour. So like they are getting so tight, Apple, doing yes. these events not live and in person that I, I'm, this is my first throw it out there to anybody. Um, I'm sure WWDC, they'll do another live event. But do you think they might eschew uh, these, uh, you know, bringing the press into the Steve Jobs Theater? Like, they should just do this all the time because they're like, they've got it down to a science, I think. Wow. That's, that's a, it's a sort of like in a physical, I don't know, stage. And one of the things I guess that I would point out, and I did tweet about this today, was 
how much the visuals are, they seem designed for like screenshotting and live commentary. And you just can't really do that when you have an audience, you know, regardless of where they're set up, taking photos in an auditorium, you know, and, and trying to get visuals that are going to actually look good in this, you know, day of, of social media. So ultimately, I, I don't see a lot of upside um, in terms of either like the live experience or, you know, I mean, yes, there is some like hobnobbing, like rubbing shoulders kind of thing. But from what I heard, uh, most of WWDC is going to be about having like live one-on-one sessions where you can meet other, you know, sort of developer advocates and people on those lines to learn. And it's more of an educational experience, uh, less of a media event because they just don't need it in the same way that they once did. That's my thought. Yeah, and I, I, you're right. I forgot that WWDC is this year again virtual, so I guess I, I, I take that entirely back. But, um, like Wesley, do you feel like I, I, what I'm trying to suggest is that they're they're better this way? <laughs> I'm not, and I'm not just saying that as like media people that cover it, but I feel like they're better at like getting across what they want to get across. So, like, I'm wondering if like they're aware of that too. I think it is good. They they do value control. The part that I see as a negative is not necessarily on Apple's fault, on Apple's side, but on the press and the 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 just media relations side. Um, there's a lot of questions that come out of these these keynotes and these yeah. dis- that that it's so much easier if you can just ask a lot of questions and even learn from the questions that are asked from them. Around, but also developing those relationships, not only just with the PR people, but also with your peers. Uh, I think that that is really something that helps with crafting a narrative and just makes the business of covering Apple better. Well, and and just the hands-on. I mean, I guess that's the answer is they can't do away with it because they need – you know, Neli and folks to go into the next room and be like, well, here's my first impression of this, you know. Um, which Jesus Christ, I wish I could have been there for, for that today. But we'll get to that because um, the IMAX are. Um, God, I want I want one. But <laughs> before we get to the IMAX, I wanna I wanna um, I wanna start with the Air Tags. Uh, so, like before we 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 build up to the, the 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 big ticket items like the the IMAX and the the iPad Pros. Um, can someone explain the AirTags thing to me from uh, a business perspective? And maybe I'm, I'm asking you this, Chris. Mm-hmm. Like, is this, I, I, you know, as, as, as I've been covering it, it's like, oh, we've, we've known about AirTags for years and it's never happened, never happened, never happened. And so it's been built up into this big thing. Is it a big thing? Like, is this a meaningful business to them? Like, if it was, why has no one else tried to do it? Like, it's not like Tile is the next Nest or anything like that, and 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 Google and Amazon haven't jumped into this space. Like, can you do you see what the angle is for AirTags? Yeah, um, this, this one is hard because um, on the one hand, I want to jump in and just like say yes, like it, it makes sense, and, and there's a number of reasons why. I think one of the things that I noticed. And, um, you know, in watching the, the, the entire show was there was a very specific line, uh, I think actually in, in reference to the IMAX, about how Apple's vision is really about having the computer just fade away and to basically not really be there. And I thought that's, you know, it's very poignant, you know, especially given that Apple computer 
was the original name, and then they dropped it a couple of years ago, and now it's just Apple. And it seems like they're moving into both, you know, they've been in, in, in moving the services business for a long time, um, but it's also about experiences. So the AirTags, in a way, kind of lock you into this ecosystem in a way that I don't fully, I, I can't fully anticipate. In other words, I don't, I mean, yes, you can, uh, you can, of course, put these tags on any kind of device and you can label it and so forth. Um, but maybe it's that integration with the Find My app and the ability to see where your things are. And maybe that'll relate to, you know, cars in the future, right? So if you think, you know, I don't know when the car is coming out, if it's coming out in, you know, five or 10 years or some sometime less than that. But the ability to trust Apple with all of these intimate details requires that you slowly, you know, boil the frog, so to speak, and get people comfortable with the idea of identifying things with these trackers. Um, there are interesting aspects of that, whether you're using Find My Friends or, you know, Find My Devices. I know personally my, my partner loses her phone constantly, and she's always using the Find My feature. And instantly when I sent her <laughs> the, uh, the photos of the AirTag, she was like, oh, my God, like, I need, like, 10 of those. So this is a thing that I think a lot of people experience. Um, actually, I just, I, I'll have to share the tweet, but I, um, there, there's a great Magic Mushrooms reference um, in the little segment that actually is promoting the, the AirTags, and it's not really so much about the, the Magic Mushrooms as it is about the the relationship that people have to their computing devices, which are now becoming legion, and they, they, they need to have access to. And if you lose something, pulling out your phone, you know, finding it quickly, I don't know if AirTags uh, and Find My is going to be something that is on Android. I don't know if it's on Android now. Um, but that is another way of kind of creating this privacy mode where you're trusting Apple and the Apple Cloud to have access to all this personal information about where things are and no one else will have that information. So that to me also feels like it's a it's a part of this story. Wesley, do you do you buy that that that's essentially it's an ecosystem and lock in play? Like is it an, I, I just don't feel like there's enough here. Um I, I don't yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's a lock-in play per se, but I think it's um, akin to when the Apple Watch launched and um, they kind of geared it towards what they thought people would like, and then when they came out with the second gen, they say, "Oh, fitness is where it's at." This is the the MVP. This is the minimum viable product for the U1 chip. They want to put this out there to see what people will do with it. Uh, and what will really catch on. Uh, yes, you can find your keys. <laughs> yes, you can find maybe your iPhone, but uh, I bet they'll maybe use this for, see if this is like a, a personal tracker for pets maybe, or for other items uh, around. Maybe um, work will use it as an internal office locator to figure out um, where people are or how close people are together if there's still issues with, you know, COVID in a few months from now. So I just think that they're just going to put it out there. This is the MVP to kind of let people hack around and use the, 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 the general audience as a public focus group to, to how they're going to uh, evolve this in the future. You know, one other, so, so to build on that, I think to some degree, um, it feels like, and Brian Romelli actually um, commented on this um, in all the way back in September uh, 2019, but was talking about the U1 chip um, in these products and getting those out into the world. And again, the other lens that I tend to evaluate Apple's practices through is um, around the degree to which it allows them to sell more silicon, right? Uh, Apple silicon specifically, but they need more applications to move more product. You know, if, if the iPhone starts to you know trail off in terms of its growth potential, 
then there have to be many, many more devices and products that require um, that part of the supply chain to keep running in order for their business to keep minting as, as you know as many millions as uh, as it has been. Um, and so, in this case, the the Yuan chip and the ultra wideband connectivity that is in it allows you to create a field of computing that allows all sorts of different things, I think, to start occurring, uh, many of which we probably can't even imagine yet. But it does seem as though, again, Apple is trying to remove the centrality of the you know, computer as the place where all computing happens and to put it into the world around you. So there's more y- ubiquity um, and, and universality. So I think that's part of this. Well, and uh, there's a piece already up today uh, from Forbes that says – that this is Apple's next billion dollar business, which, you know, at, at Apple scale, that's not hard to do. But the, the point of the piece was that um, all Apple has to do to make AirTags based on, on uh, what they're selling them at a billion dollar business would be to sell 35 million of them this year. And there are over a billion devices that already have the Find My app on them. So mm-hmm. it's entirely yeah, right. conceivable that they could sell 35 million AirTags in, in, in the first year. Um, I don't know. I, I see what you're saying that there's this is this is sort of laying the groundwork level, which also we might talk about, uh, especially with the with the Mac stuff coming up. Um, before we get to the Mac stuff, um, can I just put in a thing again, Chris, uh, as as uh, product guru? Um, how do you feel about the the Apple remote theoretically being less shitty than it was all of a sudden? I mean, it does well. Sure. It, it seemed like it wasn't a very uh, high mountain to climb there. Um, and so, I, you know, I like to move the, the Siri button off to the side. I like the, the hardware physical buttons. Um, it just seemed like that was an obvious thing that needed to happen. And um, it was, you know, I think TV is going to be one of their major core experiences, especially, you know, with the retirement of the large HomePod. And so getting that entertainment center and experience right is very important. And also being able to use, and I don't, I have high doubts about, the um, the Apple remote in use for games, but it seems like using it for games is something that they want to at least have people contemplate because gaming is going to be a major place where I think they're going to drive a lot of uh, Apple subscriptions. And so um, having that device just available for people to use, I think, seems um, a, a piece of that. In other words, sticking with with what they had before, the sort of, I don't know, like tongue depressor design just wasn't helping anything uh, move move forward in that front. Uh, agreed. Um, and I, as I pointed out on the show, um, I was very disappointed by the fact that it, this would have been the opportunity to say that uh, Find My is integrated into the remote. And I, I, I saw that. Someone else mentioned that, and I was like, oh, Brian talked about this on the show today. Yeah, uh, that's insane to me because it, that's – we lose – I mean, it does. It seems so obvious and such a mess. And it's like one of those great examples where like one part of the company is not talking to the other part, and they just like – it was like a fail. Um, in my sense, especially since like the demo that they used was like losing your keys right. in the couch. Right. Right. Which, is- which no, <laughs> I, 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 listen, I'm one of those guys that's like, you know, uh, am I leaving the house? I, I check all of my pockets with my hands. I've got everything in there. There's no way I could leave my house without my keys in my pocket. However, you know, the kids lose the remotes. Uh, yeah, every, constantly. Yeah, constantly. I mean, uh, not to mention like the, the AirPods, right? I mean, yes, yeah. won't even get into that, but. Um, okay. Do you yeah. want to bring some folks up? Yeah, bring some folks up before we get into the max. Like, if anybody has okay. any comments at this point, uh, and even you can lead us into the max. But anyone that has questions, raise your hand and let's let's bring you up. Before we move on, I just wanted to jump yeah. in about the the air tags one more time. Is just yep. not to just focus on the consumer facing usage for it, because think about it. If you went to a store, you get a coupon code and 
you one chip tells you what shelf the item is or um if you need help and yeah, so from a basically as an in, sure. yeah. Yeah. internal yeah. gps and now you can sell thousands of them to retail stores yeah. um so um let's not be limited to the consumer facing application right now yeah, the AirTag is really interesting because, yeah, it was like, what, two years ago that it was rumored? Okay, this is Steve. Oh, sorry, just to give a quick yep. intro. This is yep. Steve Thanks. from Back Rumors. Cool. Go for it. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> the I don't know whose theory this was, but um, the idea that, you know, it was rumored, um, Gary Rambo at 9to5Mac leaked it first, and then uh, all this antitrust stuff started to flare up, and I was worried about Pile, and I guess they're going to go talk to um it was a house or senate hearing tomorrow and tile's going to be in attendance so that should right. be mm-hmm. yep. yep. finally been released um so apple could have pivoted to focus on the find my network um but like why does it make sense for them yeah it's still i still feel like there's something left out there that apple hasn't announced yet and um i think there's some patent around some ar piece of it but it is interesting that um, there is an AR aspect to this because when you're finding it actually uses AR kit. It's not really clear to me how it uses AR kit to find um, your device when it doesn't seem like it's a visual thing, but poking around the code and stuff, it looks like there's some hints around, like it might ask you to turn on your flashlight or something if you're in a dark environment. Right. Uh, well, I, I described it, I, I, I used the term on the show today, uh, like Marco Polo-esque, where it's like the video that, that they showed today, it was like, well, you're, you're two feet away, turn left or whatever. But they, they specifically said that your phone would be using the the lidar and the cameras and things like that to lead you to the thing as well it's not just that it's like going to be pinging a noise underneath the cushion it's also going to like lead you in that direction right yeah i'm just wondering like can it like lead you around like it knows like a wall's there so it says like oh yeah you need to go forward and then turn kind of thing or something but yeah as far as the larger picture it it seems like it's got to be something related to like ar and, and apple's focus there and if we'll see something more, I think there's some patent about like using these some sort of tags for um, placing stuff in an AR VR space. So it, there's got to seem like there's this more hidden functionality here. But yeah, I'm really curious if um, these uh, third-party trackers that have the U1 chip in it uh, will it be the same effect, or is there extra special secret sauce in the Apple AirTags versus the third-party ones? It's yet to yet to be seen. Hey, Steve, please, please stay on stage uh, because we'll have lots of uh, questions to ask you for input as well. But um, uh, Nathan, uh, real quick, jump in before we get to the Mac stuff. Yeah, I think we just didn't touch on the privacy aspect, which is, you know, sort of like screen time. Mm -hmm. Um, Right after screen time was released, you then saw other apps that were trying to do screen time-esque behaviors Uh, start complaining uh, because they got restricted. Interesting. Interesting. you know, I, w- I back to the original tile Kickstarter mm. um, and I knew that I was like, OK, I'm you know trusting this company um, with the, this information. And if they ever get hacked, you know, there's there's some issues that, you know, I, I would have to worry about there. But I think Apple, knowing that they have the like the mesh network of all devices, not just the <laughs> ones with the tile app installed, <laughs> plus the privacy, it's a good enough reason to do it just because they can deliver a better experience than any like person who doesn't own the operating system. Yeah, I, I think one thing that's really interesting, and I don't understand this about the Tile product and the Tile, I was just looking to try to see their, their uh, privacy policy. Um, you know, whether or not t- Tile actually uses that information about where beacons are to track you and to, you know, create profiles about you. 
right? And one of the things that was specified, and I think this is actually kind of interesting, and Brian, you might have some thoughts about this too, is the way in which um, the air tags will recycle identifiers. And obviously this is a big deal when it comes to whether like it's you know app tracking transparency or when it came to um, the, oh my God, I can't think of the name. What was the, the Google Apple uh, COVID tracking API? Uh, the name of it, I don't know, but it was yeah, <laughs> right. the, the Google Apple tracking. So it was a really big deal yeah. for like, five, you know, for five minutes. Exposure it was like, notification. Yeah, yeah, exposure notification. Thank you. So that process of identifying a device and sort of, you know, holding onto the identifier for some period of time and then recycling it and then kind of like losing all recollection or memory of where it's been, obviously is a very important feature, privacy preserving feature. And that is one of the things that they did tout in the AirTag, um, you know, demo and conversation today. So if that contrasts, and Nathan, I think you're bringing up a very good point, with Tile's approach, then one, that sort of blows up Tile's business, and second, does or may, as you suggest, you know, expose the underbelly, uh, underbelly of these uh, kind of data aggregators, which Apple has been on a tear against, and that there's now laws in California that are fighting back against, um, and suddenly those businesses will be also disrupted, which, you know, is going to eventually get to this, this passion creator economy thing probably later on in the show, but nonetheless, uh, I think that's a very uh, astute point. Yeah, and you know, to be fair, T- Tile claims they don't sell any information whatsoever. But I'm more concerned about the sort of things like the Strava leak, where you know people's run mm. routes were yep. exposed. Um, you know, through not you know Strava's intentional like selling of my information, but you know through just the mishandling of my personal data. Right, and I also I don't want to speak uh, out of turn. I don't know anything about Tile's you know data practices. So I'm not speaking as though that's what they're doing. I'm just saying if, if that is what they're doing, then this would be definitely a shot across the bow of that uh, practice. Yeah, certainly a only Apple uh, setup where only Apple can turn on all lights for you know, everyone that has right. <laughs> right, exactly. And well, I also brought up um, you go by Sweet or David or do you prefer David? Yeah, David is fine. Hi, okay. hi. Can, can you guys hear me okay? Yep. Yep, you're good. So just a, to one comment and one question, maybe I'll start with the question first. For those 1 billion devices to connect, do they all need to have the U1 chip or no? Did, they I do think, oh, go ahead. They need. I'm sorry, say that again? They only need Bluetooth to... Right. Wow, okay. Yeah, that's what I thought. That, that's where that number comes from. So anybody, any of the, the iDevices that have Bluetooth on basically become part of that mesh, and they can okay. essentially report any devices that they see that, uh, I guess, happen to be emitting uh, an ultra-wideband signal or something that is probably uh, compatible with Bluetooth low energy. So the question would then be, when there are more U1 devices, what does that mean to this mesh network? Mm. Yeah, that that I don't know. I don't know enough about the U1 chip. Uh, That's beyond my ken entirely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, <laughs> seems like All a right, good cool direction guys. for us to like look into. Yeah. But yeah, I don't think there's any network effects with the U1 chip. Uh, I think it's for now, at least, just the finding aspect. Yeah, I think right now it's mostly like an emitter, right? Which is probably similar to the tile. And I don't know. Again, I don't. I don't want to speak out of turn. It just it seems like these chips are really, you know, they're they're Bluetooth low energy, and they're just kind of emitting, uh, you know, a signal. And you know, you're getting some. I don't know. And then, and then that information is relayed to the Apple Cloud. And then if you're looking for a specific unique identifier from one of those U1 chips, then you'll be able to locate it within a certain range over a certain period of time, you know, based on battery limitations, et cetera. Yeah, it's finer grain than Bluetooth, so it can know kind of exactly, you know, within centimeters of where you're at, also like higher bandwidth. Um, one difference, too, with the car key aspect is 
if you have the FC version of that, uh, you have to place it in a specific spot in your car to unlock your car. Uh, right. Yep. Yep. It's very similar to the Tesla key. Does it anywhere in your car? Mm-hmm. The the issue with the the U1 chip is that it has beam forming, which means it can tell the direction of things, and uh, that's why it's able to burst at the higher data rates because it, it can actually do the beam forming for the antennas. So that's how it can tell direction, and so that's what makes it different from Bluetooth. Cool. Yeah, you know, I, I used to work in the Apple stores, and remember those beacons when iOS used to support beacons? I yeah, and we were trying to use it for multiple different purposes, right? Security, device identification, but also updates and pinpointing problems. And but but there's also one use case that were experimented was um, file transfer, data transfer among devices within the mesh network. So you know, I just imagine AirDrop via the U1 oh, yeah. trip, you know, from Hong Kong to San Francisco. Anyway, I'm done here. Well, what, what was the other one that I was thinking about? You said AirDrop. Oh, the, the app clips. I don't know if this has any relevance to that, but the idea where you can just sort of go around in the world and kind of, you know, uh, get slices of, of apps or experiences or do checkout or payments, all those things seem to be enabled by, again, just what I see is this growing mesh of Apple interconnected devices. Um, let me, let me cut it off just because yep, uh, yep. we're edging too much here. Can we, can we get to the IMAX and then the, well, let's do it. The, let's do the, it. the iPad? <laughs> uh, listen, I, uh, I'm using sexual language because I, you know, I don't give a shit about cars. Um, even sometimes phones leave me cold, but man, nothing turns me on more than a sleek computer and, and mostly laptops, but Jesus Christ, man. What they did with this iMac is it's 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 just blown my mind. And I've been I, I've been you know spending half the evening looking around and like I found the specs or like a, a side picture that claims that like the entire computer is in the chin. So like I mm-hmm. described it as, uh, and again I, I you know I hope people have heard some of you might have heard the show today, but whatever. I described it as essentially a a. An iPad Maxi, like the most blown up iPad you you could imagine, on a sort of swivel arm, and then if you do like a a, a side um, cutout of it, all of the computer is in the chin. That's why they still have the chin. Yeah, and so it's just a glorified iPad where they just put uh, you know more sort of a, a muscle down there in the bottom. God damn. I I don't even need I don't even need an iMac right now. I'm still happy. And by the way, I I need more ports. I I need an SD card reader. So I'm not going to I'm not going to run out and get this, but um listen, I'm opening up the floor to other people that either were disappointed or are like me like goddamn, I love this thing. I think it's awesome. I think it's what's really interesting is this is the first Mac that Apple's released where they've redesigned the computer around M1. Yeah. And- Thing like what you said, like putting out all the guts in the chin, uh, is just really fascinating. I I, I I I really like it. I just can't wait to see the M1X 27 inch replacement as well. I'm curious if we're going to see like a black bezel, kind of more black professional look. I was kind of off a little bit by the bezel and everything. I was I don't know. And the no no Apple logo is really odd, but I like it. Like I don't like how Apple brought back the MacBook Pro word marker or whatever um on the bottom of the macbook pro screen they removed it for a bit and then they added it back I'm like, yeah no logos no text on the front of my machine please i think it's great 
I think that the the power um, and data connection uh, is an interesting mix where you can now explore possibly having uh, uh, multiple ports or a hub that just ties into the, the power. Um, I think that's super curious. And also the uh, Touch ID, how are they making that work? Because um, if you use this keyboard with Touch ID on another older Intel-based Mac, Touch ID doesn't work. It just works as a Bluetooth keyboard. So there's something special there in terms of there's the data transfer. Show. They actually talked yeah. about it. Yeah, so it's encrypted. So basically it's, I mean, that's that, the thing that's really interesting about this. And, and by the way, for, for those of you, actually everyone's here on Twitter Spaces, you can go in and um, just look at the top of the space. And I'm, I'm, I'm pinning tweets that are related to what we're talking about. So I just posted a photo of the guts of the iMac Pro. So Brian, you can actually go and see this thing um, and what it looks like as in, in an X-ray view. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of the, uh, I, the, the Touch ID, which I think is actually super important, super interesting, there's two, there's two features of this that are really great. So... One is that, yes, it's just like uh, it's like the secure enclave chip uh, that they use on other devices. So they're still using the same architecture. And the idea is that there's some part of the computer that basically does that verification that holds the identification information. And then probably and I don't know you know, how this works or not, but probably passes like a go, no go authentication, you know, um, you know, I guess signal or something that says, OK, you can log in as this person. The other thing that it does, uh, from what I could tell, at least from from. Um, the video was when you use your fingerprint, it actually identifies you as a user and will do fast user switching, which is new. Now, from what I recall, and you guys can tell me if I'm wrong because I don't actually share an iPad with anybody, um, but there's still sort of iPads are single user devices, right? Still true? Yes, no? Uh, except, except in a business or education setting. So yeah, for most consumers, it's a single user. But there's no, there's no like Apple uh, account um, in the sense that all of your app settings, preferences, like on a Mac, right, you can swap between different user accounts. Right, right. Okay, so I don't know when or if that might happen, but you can imagine that if that is happening on the um, you know, iMacs here, then that type of behaviors, well, I don't know, I guess like maybe that the iPad will still maybe remain forever like a personal device that for there will only ever be one user, whereas the iMac is a shared family computer, and so therefore the fast user switching tied to the Touch ID sensor, I think to me sounds like a super amazing, um, I guess, uh, convenience innovation, and maybe that will happen more in other places too. But we haven't, you know, seen that kind of thing in the, the Apple TV. Although I do think that you can now swap your preferences around. Anyways, yeah. So the Touch ID thing is. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse. That laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. 
Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. Steve, can I ask you real quick, were you surprised that we did get IMAX today, uh, the, the, bringing M1 chips into at least some IMAX today? Uh, I was going to be surprised, except then uh, um, German said, uh, hey, what do you guys think about uh, like an M1 and an I? Okay, yeah, there is a good chance that it's around the corner then. Because, yeah, I didn't really see too much like in the code pointing towards like iMac anytime soon. Um, but, yeah, then, then they dropped it. But, yeah, as far as like multi-user stuff, I, I don't see that coming to iPad. I think it's just like yeah. a thing back from the Unix underpinnings. Um, but then again, I, I thought we'd never see Touch ID and then a wireless keyboard. So uh, there's that. I was poking around the code and looked like there was something about some new like um, cloud pairing or something with Bluetooth devices that isn't related to like the AirPods. Um, it might be called like Firefly or something. So it seems like huh. there's a lot of work around there to to figure out how to make this work. And then one other piece of that is like if you try to use Apple Pay on one of these new iMacs with the keyboard without the touch ID, it's going to tell you like, Hey, you need to hook up a touch ID keyboard to use Apple pay. Wait, are you saying it will tell you that? Yeah. Yeah. There's a string in there that uh, explicitly calls it out of like, Hey, you try to use Apple pay, but you're, you're not connecting to your, uh, your touch ID keyboard. So make sure. So, but there must be some other way, some fallback, like where you can like authenticate with your phone maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe like, uh, I I don't know. Like, yeah, I don't know how that works, but, uh, that was just interesting. And I think Apple kind of on background was talking uh, to some bloggers about, um, yeah, you can use this keyboard with older devices, but right. yeah, so it has that in one max. Um, this so is- that's the question that I had is that um, just to clarify that I understand it's a Bluetooth keyboard, but that transfer with the touch ID probably is not Bluetooth. So there's some other wireless standard that it's using on these M1 Macs and iMacs that allows Touch ID to work. So there's some radio other than Bluetooth that's handling the communication between the keyboard and the system. Why, why do you say that? Why would Bluetooth because, not be sufficient for that? 
Bluetooth is, is, is so insecure. Um, it's, it's, it wasn't really built on super security, not to the point where it's, for touch ID that I don't believe that they would use on top of Bluetooth to do that type of transfer. Even if, it, um, if, the, if the payload is encrypted? The, the, yes, but, I, but we're talking about the, if, if the decryption is on the Mac itself, not on the keyboard in terms of how it's sending it over, that, that's, even if it's encrypted hash, I wouldn't, I would not have that over the air in something I didn't control. So yeah, there has to be something part of the stack. Yeah, and could be something like AirDrop, Wi-Fi Direct, or something. Mm. But um, I figured like if FCC would have, you know, we'd have some details. But that's something good to to look for. I'll definitely look out for that. Of like, is there any new FCC details on these keyboards or something? Yeah, that's interesting. Um, David, uh, just I brought up. Um, I don't know if you had a comment or a question. Um. Okay. So I kind of wanted to. Uh, zoom out in a way that I feel like might derail this conversation. So please let me know if I'm derailing instead of maybe okay. uh, providing. We'll okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so the thinness thing mm. regarding products that mm. are almost certainly des- destined to basically remain static for 100% of their lifetimes, right? The iMac. Um, and these engineering uh, gymnastics that uh, I'm sure that you know uh, the hardware team undergoes the R and D money. Basically, the thinnest thing. Like, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. I remember cool I was watching it. when the MacBook Air uh, original was pulled out of the Manila folder. It's yeah, cool, right. but I it's long past time that we chill. In my opinion, uh, I guess what I'm asking is. Um, are we like, at what point do we stop making tremendous hardware, uh, sacrifices in the name of miniaturization generally, but especially for desktop PCs? Um, can I, this is right up my alley because, uh, <laughs> oh, I know I I've been saying that about the phones and things like that, uh, for a long time, but uh, let me, let me, cause this is actually something that I wanted to bring up. Um, and look, I, I'm, this is everyone knows this. Like, look at what they're doing. This is an iMac that looks like an iPad. The iPads, the iPad Pros, uh, look the same, stay the same. Um, the your iPhone, the most recent iPhone, has the exact same design aesthetic as an iPad in a sense. Like, so we are, we know they're doing it in front of us. They're not making any uh, uh, secret about it. Like. They're they're going to release sometime in the next five years uh, a, a combination of um, uh, a MacBook and an iPad, and I don't know what they'll call it or what way they'll do it. But like you know, I'm looking at this this iMac and I'm thinking like a MacPad, right? A MacPad. But like think about like look at that hinge where it's like what's the what's the huge Microsoft Surface thing where you pull it down yeah. and you draw on it and things like that. You can see this coming. You can see that you could even maybe pull that out if it's if it's light enough. We are we are we are literally a couple years away from this completely being unified. And what was it that I quoted from today? It was like Dieter or Nilay was saying that like, yeah, look, I mean, it, it, it's all the same architecture now. They're all using the same M1, M1 chips. So like this is so coming and the design language is pointing in this direction. So 
I, I get what you're saying, except for the fact that like I see what they're doing and I I love it. <laughs> I think you guys are talking uh, like a little bit past each other though, because if I understand, I, I I don't. So, David, the, the the challenge or the issue that I have with your point, I guess, is what is it that you would like the computer to be able to do, regardless of form factor, right? Ultimately, this is a screen and it's got a bunch of pixels on it. And every year you get some more colors and they move faster across the screen. And, you know, the computer can like calculate more things like simultaneously. Like that's kind of like the jam. And Apple, meanwhile, and, you know, this is what I wrote about in like 2016 is, is you know, building and making sand that is sold as jewelry. So the markups are amazing. It's like De Beers, except a little bit more interactive. And so when it comes to this, this question, I guess, that, that you're putting to us, which is, you know, couldn't Apple make a really fat, lazy computer that just, like, you know, is super, super honking and, like, does all these amazing things and all the nits and the GPUs and all the rest? And, the, and like, that's their $16,000 product because that's sold to the high end, which is doing, you know, video animation or, you know, movie animation and stuff like that. For their, I think, core audience, which I guess my, my, my thought is they're probably not too much like you or I anymore – you know, it are, are people who want less computers in their life. They don't want to feel like they're around computers. Like the whole color aspect of this is that this is a device that you like live with, you know, more or less like the HomePod. I was actually thinking about this again, like with, with the AirTags in particular and in a bunch of these other products, Apple is refuting the idea of what a computer is and should look like. Like literally they, they partnered up with Hermes to, to, elevate the idea of, you know, what, what tile has is sort of like this disposable thing that you could like, you know, lose and like, it's not a big deal and it's kind of around and, you know, attracts your stuff or whatever. But they're saying that, no, this is a, a piece of jewelry that you attach to your very fine, your finest items. And when you want to find them, you will use your, your iPhone to get at it. And that's where they can charge their premium. So with all that said, I guess, what is it that you really want the computer to be able to do that it can't do that uh, the form factor sort of prevents it from doing? It's not necessarily about features or capabilities. It's about um, checks and balances. And Mm -hmm. I guess instead of answering uh, with specific features, I would answer, I would rather Apple um, spend their energy and their resources on uh, a different direction. Okay. Uh, And maybe just pause here. Like with the, like my, my 12 Pro Max, um, I can't imagine it being any thinner and still being usable. Uh, usable for what purposes? Well, just me, like as a phone. I, I just, oh. I don't. I guess. Um, I just feel like the thinness thing has pretty much run its course, and it, like the place to start uh, bringing this up and taking your time would be on uh, specifically in the desktop segment, but like. I understand, and actually, it's insightful because what I just realized is the iMac being um, sort of they're differentiating with the word "pro" um, between uh, I, I I don't know they really haven't bifurcated too much between the pro and the non-pro lines across the, the range, I guess. Mm. But I guess the implication is that the iMac is for um, everybody. And that everybody that you were talking about are the, the people who want computers to be less visible in their lives. Yeah, I mean, I think you just you really have to look at and I think this is really important. And, a, and it's a subtle um, way to gain insight 
But everything in these events is intentional. Everything that they put together, and especially now that they're not having to, you know, put this in front of the press, right, where the press is the audience, the press is the filter that explains to the end users what is important and what is interesting. Apple now can do that directly. So if you look at the clips of people using these products, that will tell you the story. And a couple of years ago, if you if you actually need to find it, I'll put it, I'll post it as um, a pin tweet to this space. But I wrote about how Silicon Valley was all wrong about the uh, Amazon Echo Show, and my point was that the imagery and the people and the scripting that they used to talk about this new product, which was more or less just a video intercom, right, that had a voice assistant attached to it, which of course is very important to Amazon's long term strategies, was super pedestrian. It was not dolled up at all. These were not pieces of jewelry that are connected to the internet that you want to spend a premium on. The idea was that you'll buy a bunch of them, you know, just like you'll buy a bunch of the Echo Puck devices or whatever and put them all over the place because that was the field of computing that Amazon wanted to offer people. And they wanted to do it at a price point that was super accessible. And so if you look at the way in which people are um, presenting uh, the, the iMac it is a statement piece, just like the HomePod was intended to be. When people come over, they see it and they're like, oh, well, aren't you fancy, Mr. Brian, Mr. Fancy Pants? You've got a new colored iMac. Well, that's brand new. Uh, I love seeing that. And so I think it's, it's and I guess what I'm, what I'm just trying to offer is a way to interpret the Apple event, like film, and to look at the scenes that they show and the way that people are interacting with those computing products. And when they show families who are interacting with these devices um, and the degree to which they, you know, kind of care about, like, I don't know, like going deep into the guts and understanding it, it's no, Apple's going to take care of this for you. You are the subject and Apple keeps you safe. And I know that that's very like sort of anathema for those of us who sort of have been in the computer freedom movement for a long time, but it just feels like that's the message that I take away from that. So Brian. Yeah. uh, So again, I feel like today I, I was totally prepared to be underwhelmed by today, and I was more whelmed than I thought I would be. Um, uh, Chris, you know, listeners to the show know, like I've been talking about like the 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 Facebook portal and like why you know what did we do? It was a story last week about how you know oh, Facebook yeah. is maybe doing something that's portal like or like the the Amazon show or whatever. And I was like, of course they're doing that. No, again, it's right here. Look at what this is. Now, this is a higher-end thing. This is still a computing device. But this form factor where five years from now, this is a cute, colorful thing that you've got one in your kitchen, you put one in your kid's room, they're already putting the camera in there like the portal that, that moves around uh, yeah. as you're yeah. walking around the room. This is, And then, so imagine that this is also something that you can pick up and, and, and remove from the device and walk around as a tablet this right. is this is the this is going back 25 years this is the the sort of um uh, the information uh, navigator no it's what what, what do they call it a, a computing um uh what, what do you call like a, a refrigerator like a um a, uh, an appliance appliance a computing yeah. appliance so that yeah. these are cute things that will be able to do all of these things for you and they're gonna want like what do you what do we already 
iPads are sort of like the entry level into the deeper computing level of the Apple ecosystem. Like they really want you to get an i an iPhone, but if you don't, like you know, spend a couple four hundred bucks and and get in get in with an iPad, the cheapest iPad you got. Well, they're gonna they can combine these things, and these are gonna be the things that they're gonna want to put four or five of them in your house in various rooms. Like I see that now. This is so clear to me. Um, and then and so. You know, there will always still be a bigger iMac and things like that, but like I, I'm seeing the form factor that is going to be the next decade of this angle of Apple computing. Yeah, it was interesting. Like, this was Apple's chance to like uh, have, like I talked about before, a new design around the M1 and that architecture. I was like, okay, if we're going to see a touchscreen iMac, it's going to be now. And we didn't get that. So it must be, okay, we're not going to get that. I don't know about a MacBook. I'd still love to see that. But as far as like, you know, a larger computer, uh, I think that's like the rumored much talked about X-Mac that Apple's never going to make, which is the consumer uh, Mac with replaceable cards. But I don't think Apple wants consumers messing with cards at all. I think it's just going to be, you know, plug and play with the Thunderbolt ports. Uh, although I guess we didn't see any eGPU stuff today. I think that's still um, to be seen if Apple's going to allow um, users to use third-party graphics cards with um, the Apple Silicon architecture. So we'll see what's there. Uh, and uh, I love the magnetic connector. It's like, don't call it MagSafe, MagSafe connector. Um, uh, <laughs> um, but I love it. It's just the little details. It's got the, the color match cord and the color match uh, lighting cable, which unfortunately we still have to flip over. On beta. Okay, cool. Slowly the room's coming back together. I sent the link to Brian. You should be here soon. Let's get Wesley up here. There's Brian. Cool. <laughs> and crash it again. Okay, Brian's back up. Cool. Um, I was, you know what it was? I was trying to, to bring up my post about uh, Silicon Valley and um, the Echo Show. And um, man, Twitter did not like that link. It's not very happy with me. So, but I'll send it to you guys and you can see it. Someone while we're coming up here, I have a couple things I wanted to tack on to the size uh, debate on the iMac. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, I have two things. First of all, um, the form factor. Um, why it's so thin? It's so thin because it's a differentiator between Intel and, and AMD. Um, they can't make form factors that look like that. And they don't have uh, a long, mm. super long lead time. I mean, th those are going to be in development, at least from the AMD side. I'm not sure how far behind Intel is, but um, they will not have an exclusive on that form factor for too much longer. So um, it's better to get out there um, now and uh, seen as the leader while they still can. So it's very important for them to do that from that perspective. So you're saying we're yeah. gonna we're gonna see everybody doing this, which which happened after the the air and everything like that. Like this is gonna be the new hotness pretty quick. Right. And the second thing that they mentioned several times, but it's not really a headlining issue, is their 2030 initiative. Um, when you use less materials, you can pack more of those devices in a shipping container. It's going to be lighter, so you can sh you, it's going to be cheaper logistically to get them around. And they're using recycled aluminum, which means the raw material now 
um, is something that is precious uh, when you're recycling that and making more devices. And so the size is actually an advantage from them from a cost standpoint. They use less raw materials. And because of the, the lightness, it, it's cheaper for them logistically to, to ship it and to get it in the hands of consumers. Yeah, I, I think just to add to that, I mean, one of the, the, the ways in which the event started, uh, from what I recall, was Tim Cook coming out and basically talking about you know, their plans to be carbon neutral and to be a, you know, environmentally sustainable company, which you see a bunch of companies moving towards. But the fact that this is all aluminum, the fact that they're using a bunch of recycled material in the product itself, the fact that these are lay flat devices and they're no longer these curved, weird shapes with all the styrofoam that goes in the packaging, the packaging itself is using, and I feel like I'm just like, you know, rattling off their talking points, but like using virgin trees from like well-managed forests or something like that. I don't know, but like, I think that is very important in terms of managing this enormous supply chain and the logistics, which obviously is, you know, Tim Cook's, you know, sort of uh, bread and butter. And the more they can reduce the complexity and the different types of parts and components, the more streamlined and the more cost efficient this can be. So I think this is that, just, that's, yeah. that's something that's underappreciated in certain mm-hmm. circles where everyone thinks that, oh, of course, this is virtue signaling for like we're, you know, going carbon neutral and we're, we're doing recycle. No, th- there's efficiencies. Like uh, what, what, but people capitalism, don't know, uh, capitalism is making things cheaper, making things more efficient. And to a certain degree, and then charging the same rate. And, and to a certain degree, that is exactly what happens when you see, um, a Tim Cook stand up and say like, you know, this is the, the packaging has been reduced by 80% or whatever, you know, and exactly what you're saying is like, it is more efficient and that goes directly to their bottom line. So, um, when they're, when they're, they're getting the PR benefit by saying that everything is, is, uh, environmentally friendlier and, and things like that. But they're also, what they're actually saying is that we are getting more efficient in our supply chain and, and our materials usage and all that stuff. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Um, yeah, I buy this. The, the, the other thing I wanted to, to, to point out is that, you know, Brian, you said that you, you see the, the merging of the two form factors. Um, keep in mind that if now that the uh, iPad Pro has an M1 chip. Yeah, there's very little keeping. Yes, uh, big big sir for being ported to the iPad Pro. Yes, so okay. there is a path now to a touchscreen. Well, uh, right, exactly. There's a path now. Right. I listen. I, I'm I don't, I'm not going to do something dumb like make predictions and things like that. But yeah, we're we're, <laughs> we're three years away from. We will have touchscreen. Max, but they'll do it in that way that I described, where it's like it'll be the iMac that pulls down when you need to draw on it, and it'll be you know um, it, I don't know how they'll do it. Actually, that'll that'll be interesting to watch. Is like you know they already have essentially a laptop where you know you've got these keyboards and 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 hinges and things like that, and we've already got mouse and and all that stuff in the iPad stuff. So right, it's just. What will they do the first time that they're like, uh, will they call it a MacBook Pad or something like a a Pad Pro Mac or something like like eventually it's just going to meld together probably in the portable space first. Um, yeah, it feels like you know, like so, so. The problem that I have with a lot of these conversations is that we're old, <laughs> and part of it is like we remember a lot of these variations and generations. You're right, and you're it's right. sometimes helpful, you know, to, to sort of, you know, format the, the SD card and basically like start all over. And so, you know, 
Brian, like if you were explaining to your kids these different devices in this like three to five year time frame for you, like for you, like yeah. would you really bother to take them through the tour of you know Finder and like all these other things, or would they just sort of be living living in like a networked operating system world where they have their Apple ID, they authenticate to different devices through you know touch, through face, through augmented reality, through Apple glasses which they're wearing all the time, you know they acquired aura or something and that's like the the constant you know biometric authentication tool or something and the thing that you're talking about where there's this merger of the mac desktop and the portable ipad to me feels like one it's almost like a fait accompli in terms of the the, the user interface in many respects like yes there's a, a, a keyboard sort of element and that's for typing and there's like a mouse element and that's for you know not putting your grubby fingers on the screen but ultimately apple is merging these two computing paradigms. One is touch and direct manipulation, and the other is indirect and typing. And that eventually is going to go away when voice actually becomes useful, right? You're right. They're they're already jumping. The the puck is already on the other side of the ice, and they're they're talking about, like, just you're going to use your your AirPods or your your AR glasses, your eyeglasses or whatever they're going to be. You're you're right. Go on. Sorry. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think I just... On the one hand, like I'm, I'm vehemently like agreeing with you, but I'm coming from the future and sort of coming back to you and saying, why are you still talking about this? Like, you know what I mean? Like all the things that, and maybe this is just to acknowledge like your point, which is that the M1 being the the, the chip of uh, sort of not notability, but you know the one that's unification, all these unification, yeah, unification yeah. right? Which is the the plan all along. We've talked about graphics independence for a long time. All those things are merging together, which hopefully will allow a new type of just, you know, uh, application of computing in many, many more lived experiences. And that, I think, is going to be the major shift. And the question is, once we start bringing in, uh, I guess, computing into more contexts that are more casual, where previously it would have been really annoying or irritating to think about getting out your phone and kind of like doing a search for something and not quite sure what you're going to get, to one where you do have these assistants that live with you and you just talk to them and you tell them what you want and you know, through the magic of the internet, these things just kind of appear to you because you have a subscription to like the best possible content. That's a very different world that we'd be living in. So I think that's, it's important again, maybe go back to first principles of the experience that most consumers will have when they're interacting with a computer because they're not thinking about it as a computer. Right. I I just want to say, I, I buy Wesley's point that the thinness ultimately comes down to efficiencies um, more than I buy the thinness comes down to the fact that this is all being unified in five years. We're going to have an IMAX sure. that detaches and you can carry around. Like, right. I think, I think David raised it originally, right? Like, yeah. If Apple wanted to, they could make it thicker and have more functionality, right? Yeah. And, and charge, well, that you know, higher, less. Higher end, right. And they have a visual right. design specifically for those types of products. They're saying, you know, if you really want to go in that, that high end, you know, we've got those products for you. But for everyone else, you're going to get like this very svelte sort of thin, you know, visual design. And aren't you going to be impressed that we packed in even more computing power into a thinner design? I don't know, because the, the argument that this is for the average Joe and not us, the average Joe is not going to notice if it's half a millimeter thicker, right? Uh, but I, think that, it's about- but it is, I agree that it's way more efficient, you know, if, if Apple can get the, the materials down. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good point. I, I, I don't know that, you know, normal, you know, users are necessarily going to, like, notice the millimeter, but they're going to talk about it, and they're going to notice when they go to their friend's house and they've got, you know, the new shiny, colorful, you know, Mac in, you know, or the, the iPhone in purple relative to, you know, a PC or a Chromebook. 
Well, right, they'll so, notice that the color. I don't know if they'll go and stand beside it and be like, "Wow, look how thin." <laughs> like, I, especially well, because it's not on, like it's, it's not being lifted up, right? right? Like, 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 like to David's original point, it's not being picked up or anything. Like it's just standing there. Yeah, but I mean, I'm with Chris walking, on this. I'm with Chris on this. Go on. Yeah, like imagine walking into a friend's house. Like, so, so what is what is this computer replacing? And if it's replacing a PC, for starters, right? And, and again, I haven't had a PC or probably seen one in years at this point, but like. You know, you go to like someone's house who you've always known has had a PC, let's say for like the last five years, and finally they're ready to replace it, and they replace it, and then you come over. I mean, they're going to be like bringing this this thing out, like you know, it's uh, the, the family jewels. So it just it feels like the relationship to it in that capacity is what's different, and the delta between what was there before, not for people who replace their computers every year, you know, and you know have that privilege. It's for a lot of folks who have, let's say, had an iMac. That's like this huge honking thing for a couple of years, and now they're replacing it with the latest thing, and that's where the they're going to see so, the most difference. Yeah, no. So I completely agree with you that the delta between whatever they had before to the new iMac is going to be much more valuable. I'm talking about the delta between Apple making it, you know, however much thinner or thicker. Yeah. Um, yep. I think that delta is much better addressed by Wesley's point of like it's about how much cheaper it is to ship it because right. of weight and driving down efficiencies. All that makes a lot more sense to me than. You know, that someone's going to like, we will notice that it's that much thinner than it could have been. Um, but the, I don't think the average person, they're going to notice the color <laughs> and they're going to notice, oh, that's new and shiny, but they're not going to go and like, wow, it's, you know, that many millimeters thinner than it could have been. Yeah, I take your point. I take your point. Okay, so we, we've been wrapping on, on hardware for uh, almost an hour now, besides, you know, when I blew up the space. And by the way, I did pin the, the, the tweet about um, the Echo Show if you guys want to check that out. Um, to pivot to something that was actually early in the the, the Apple event film, um, and something that Brian I know has a deep relationship to, and and I, I don't even know if he's had the chance to dig into this yet, but this is something that he and I have been talking a lot about lately, and of course that is the change to the podcast app, um, which I feel like has been like this sleeping giant that you know Apple for so long was like whatever it's cool, you know we don't really think there's much of a market there, people are not going to pay for podcasts, so we'll just let them, you know it, it was sort of a a benefit to the iPod, you know, back in the day, hence the name podcast. Um, it was a way for people to, to get access to essentially, you know, radio and talk content on a device that was designed for music. And so it was sort of a, a uh, come also kind of content experience that, of course, over the years, and especially over the last year, maybe the last two to three years, uh, that content space has exploded. And, uh, you know, to me, there are several big things that have happened in the space. You know, there's social audio, obviously, which we're experiencing now. And then there's also the move to premium and exclusive content, which is all about what Scott Galloway calls the rundle, the recurring revenue bundle. In other words, let me give you a bunch of, um, you know, pieces of content that you just can't say no to because, you know, it's, like Netflix, you know, accessing millions of billions of pieces of content for uh, $17, $19 a month, whatever it is. Um, and Apple is trying to do the same thing. And so podcasts have been the one space where you really can't spend money on podcasts. You can go to Patreon, you know, and sort of do a sideload kind of like, hey, here's a tip for what you're doing. I really appreciate it. But for the most part, podcasts are monetized through advertising. And so this move to premium subscription-based podcast content um, I think is really going to shake things up. We just heard an announcement from Facebook wanting to get to the space. Um, uh, Spotify obviously has exclusive that are coming. Um, they just uh, blogged about how they want to break their connection to RSS. So this seems all predicated um, and designed to preempt 
Apple's announcement today. So the, the, the tea leaves were out there for anyone who's close enough and connected enough to read them. And now they're out there for us to see and to interpret. So Brian, your thoughts? Yeah, I'm going to come in hot here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're being sponsored today by a company on a product that longtime listeners know I have used for years and cannot literally cannot live or at least work without it. One password. One password combines industry leading security with award winning design to bring private, secure and user friendly password management to everyone. Companies lose hours every day just from employees forgetting and resetting passwords. A single data breach costs millions of dollars. 1Password secures every sign-in to save you time and money, any device, any time. 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password generates as many strong, unique passwords as you you need and securely stores them in an encrypted vault that only you have access to. I started using 1Password, what, a decade ago? Join me and over 100,000 businesses on board the 1Password bandwagon, because right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom slash ride. That's two free weeks at the number one, the word password, all one word, dot com slash ride, onepasswordcom slash ride. Want a better way to simplify your business finances across expenses, vendor payments, and accounting? If so, Ramp could be a complete game changer. Ramp is the corporate card and spend management software designed to help you save time and put money back in your pocket. Ramp gives finance teams unprecedented control and insight into company spend. With Ramp, you're able to issue cards to every employee with limits and restrictions and automate expense reporting so you can stop wasting time at the end of every month. Ramp's accounting software automatically collects receipts and categorizes your expenses in real time so you don't have to. You'll never have to chase down a receipt again, and your employees will no longer spend hours submitting expense reports. The time you'll save each month on employee expenses will allow you to close your books eight times faster. Ramp's also saves you money. Businesses that use Ramp save an average of 5% the first year. Ramp is easy to use. Get started, issue virtual and physical cards, and start making payments in less than 15 minutes, whether you have five employees or 5,000. And now, get $250 when you join Ramp. Just go to ramp.com slash techmeme. Ramp.com slash techmeme. R-A-M-P dot com slash techmeme. So this is a huge swing and a miss by Apple from oh. everything that I've seen so far. Wow. Um, for sure, um, I believe it's been confirmed that Apple's going to take their traditional 30% cut of revenue generated yep. through podcast subscriptions, which would drop to their 15% after a year. Um, but they're like, you know, pricing, you can, you can do 50 cents a month or you can do whatever you want, but you also um, have to pay 20 bucks to get, into you have the to program, pay just like right, the Apple developer program, the developer program. Exactly. So I yeah. can give you the straight up economics and, and I'm going to tiptoe around this a bit okay. um, because, you know, I've, I have deals with a couple <laughs> because, of different people because reasons, but um, the, the, the industry standard take is 10%, right? So mm. it's similar to what Substack does. So, you know, we have subscription programs and um, uh, for, for the Tech Meme Right Home. Um, we use two different vendors to do it. Um, it there's, it, it, again, it's 10% industry standard. Then you've got the Stripe uh, fees on top of that. So essentially, 
you know, I'll, I'll just say it. Like, it, 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 I charge five dollars a month for our subscription product. I see about four twenty. Ha ha ha. That's literally true. About four twenty. And also today. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. So I know what I'm saying. But it's, you mean four dollars and twenty cents? Exactly. Five dollars. Yes. Okay. Out of the five dollars. So. And eighty cents is going to whom? To so a, around ten percent is what well, what well, right no no so around ten percent is going to the partner that that does the subscription stuff, then the remaining percentage there the the whatever pennies is going to Stripe and the is that the, Supercast the, you work with Supercast Supercast and Glow uh, which okay. which just got bought by um, Libsyn. I'm um, curious. Now I do know that um, uh, um, Patreon charges less. Like I keep hearing this five percent rate and eight percent rate and things like that. I don't know about that. Now I do know. Listen, by the way, this is not a small business. Like people are acting like this is a like I know podcasters that are making six figures a month and not a few. Wow. Through Patreon, okay, and through their subscription programs, through people like Glow, and and there's not a few. There are a lot. And so, essentially, this is a very good business to be in because you can have – if you have a successful podcast, you can have a a, a public-facing, ad-supported podcast – um, that is hopefully getting you know six figures in downloads per episode, and then you're making a lot of money uh, with that. I mean, there wouldn't be you know billions of podcasts you know in terms of the explosion right. if people weren't making money and there wasn't a goal. Well, risk I mean, so. and also look at look at certain podcasters' Patreon pages. If someone's saying they're getting thirty five thousand uh, patrons a month and they're charging yep. five dollars a month, do the math. Like it's yep. not that hard to see what people are doing. Um, all right, so number one, coming back to Apple. Yeah. That thirty percent is is a non-starter because it it doesn't take into account any reality for the creators, and so that's the number one thing is that like it's sort of been painted as this is Apple's acknowledgement of you know we're getting we, we want to be a part of this creator economy we want to support creators well in this space they have no idea what creators are doing <laughs> so um, the. The second part of it is that, like, um, and, and, and Ashley was here, and, and she had to go, and, and she's written about yeah. this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote specifically uh, from her tweets and her piece. Um, the, if you're, if you're, if you're going to be a platform and a tool for creators, one of the things that you have to do, aside from, in theory, not charging them a 30% fee, you know, being reasonable about it, is you want to give them analytics and data. Well, that's not Apple's game. So Ashley's tweet from five hours ago says that she confirmed... I pinned it to the space. Yeah, podcasters will receive no specific info about their subscribers, like emails, which, listen, I don't collect people's emails. I don't need that. But the... uh, Apart from whatever analytics Apple provides, like where your show is most popular. So, okay... If you're Apple and you're like, I, I don't want to sell people's data or whatever, but if you are a, a creator and a sole proprietor and you're this, then suddenly knowing emails and things like that, like you want to own that. That is kind of part, that's your business, right? I just, you know, I think, okay, okay, keep going, keep going. Okay, so I understand, I understand the privacy angle, I understand that, but if the idea of being a creator and creating a creator business, is that you have this audience that is with you, then you have to be able to have a closer relationship to that audience. And so, I, again, this is all, you know, hours I, I, old. I, yeah, I think you're... I could, Sorry. I could take the devil's advocate side of this. Go ahead, and, please. 
Yeah, so I think this is great news. It's just another option. Um, unlike uh, the App Store and iOS, where the only option is the App Store, uh, as far as I know, you can still sideload your paid subscriptions. Yes, uh, yes. you can so still you can take a, an RSS feed. In fact, I think that's what, uh, if I read it correctly, that you can still do. So essentially you can mint uh, maybe subscriber content and then just offer an RSS feed that can be taken off to some other platform. Right, exactly. And it's not exclusive, right? They don't say you can only have your subscribe you know, version uh, of your podcast on us. That I don't know. There might okay. be content that you have to make exclusive to your Apple feed in order to get the upside or to participate yes, in that Yes, again, uh, sorry, uh, quoting Ashley, um, <clears> confirm <throat> that Apple podcast subscription content has to be uploaded through Apple's backend, not through RSS. The regular content that you've had in the feed can still go through RSS, but if you do the subscription stuff, it has to go through through them. It's not an open RSS feed. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you can just like syndicate it everywhere. You could still have your paid version of Patreon or whatever if you wanted to alongside the Apple version, right? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, no, I, as far as I know, they, they haven't said uh, you can only do it through us. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I, I wasn't listening close enough. Okay. No, no, that's a good detail. I didn't know about, uh, you know, having to update it through there and there's no RSS. I guess that makes sense. But yeah, I mean, uh, like I said before, I think this is great. It's another option. You can make your audience broader that they have a credit card with Apple. They don't want to go to Patreon. Um, they weren't going to do that anyways, perhaps. Uh, and they can pay you this way. You get a little less. You don't get emails, um, certainly. But, um, you know, there's just some people that maybe they want a third party in between, I guess Patreon's a third party, but you know maybe they trust Apple more to cancel subscriptions and everything else. Um, so I see it as a win, especially in the fight against Spotify and removing RSS and making this last, um, you know, uh, great uh, open area of the internet as Spotify tries to close that down and remove RSS and everything else. I think this is good that it's that we have side loading. Like if they remove side loading, this would be a very sad day, but. Uh, I love that we still have this option and Apple's still, I guess for now, maybe it's like, I don't know who's bigger, but it's uh, teetering on Spotify or Apple. Um, but I think this is this is good news, I think, to, to take the other side of the argument. Yeah, I think the um, there's another point with the um, Apple's like in-app purchase. There this is, is no... Up, the Hi there. <laughs> um, there is no purchase. There is no like alternative uh, arrangement for in-app purchase. It's Apple's way or the highway, right? And so Apple hasn't locked down the you know the supercasts of the world or the Patreons. Um, so in this sense, they actually have to compete to earn those subscriptions. Um, That's because they're not willing. They're not willing to um, you know take that PR hit of like oh we've shut down all uh, feeds that aren't actually listed for free in the directory. Um, so you know what are they offering for that thirty percent? Right? They're like oh billing management, customer support. All the sort of stuff that they've, you know, had built out since before they were selling well, apps in the first place. That's, that's an interesting point because I'm going to – I've never used Patreon, so I'm not shilling for them or anything. But the thing that podcasters have been doing on Patreon is amazing. Like the – if you go to any Patreon page, like, you know, the things that you can do where it's like subscriber-only posts and like you can add Discord channels to it. You can do polls and things like that. Like one of my favorite podcasts – um, uh, 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 blank check. Like they, they did a March Madness this year that went on uh, for a full month, like deciding what the next movies were that they were going to do uh, the podcast about, and like that's all done through the Patreon. So I'm again 
okay, for the 30%, I hear what you're saying, that Apple has you know all this platform that's set up, but it remains to be seen. I don't know that Apple has proven to anyone that they're good at social stuff and like providing a platform for creators or, or anything like that. So, I mean, look, it, it's less than 12 hours since this has been announced, so it remains to be seen. Um, but again, I'm super, super, super skeptical at this point, but... Yeah, I, you know, like what? So, I guess my my pushback on this, and again, I don't, I'm not trying to be an Apple fanboy. I'm just trying to like understand this strategy and the broader ecosystem as it's evolving. There's been a, a, a sort of a thread around splinternets occurring, you know, in the next you know several years or decades, largely based on geographic boundaries and restrictions. But it seems like in some ways that splinternet is actually coming uh, as a sort of splintered content net, in that once you introduce payments and exclusivity or the ability to charge for content, now you have to protect that content and make sure that it doesn't, you know, sort of get syndicated uh, in places or, or, or to audiences that, let's say, haven't paid for it or are not paying customers. And it feels like where Apple is going, especially with the Apple One subscription, and I think if you look at what Apple is doing in gaming with their Apple Arcade, like, this feels like they're essentially doing a couple things. One, and I don't know this, you know, I don't have any inside information, but... I can imagine that there are people who have large audiences of podcast subscribers and they're looking at Spotify and they're looking at other places in the market and they're saying, hey, why are we not getting paid for the content that you're distributing through the podcast app? And Apple was like, okay, we'll respond and we'll basically take the exact same terms and model that we have for iTunes and for music and apply it to podcasts. And that's the deal. And from there, they, they can evolve it. But it's harder to sort of start from 15% and go upwards in terms of the take rate versus going downwards. So it seems like they're starting there at what is already working and where they have these deals already arranged. One thing that, that is important about this that is probably hard for us to, to understand, and I don't fully understand it, but Apple announced that they are rolling this out to, or at least it'll, it'll be made available in 170 countries. And that is, I believe, more than double than what Spotify is offering. So if you want your content to get a global audience and you want to be able to charge people all around the world for it, Apple will take care of that. So the 30% cut that they take is about actually possibly giving you access to a much larger pie well, except for the fact than that what Spotify how, how is Apple doing distribution for you? They're not. That's not what this is. What do you mean? Explain. No, because all they're saying is that if you have... If you want to do a subscription to your podcast, a subscription yeah. to your, we'll, we'll help you do that. They're not right. saying that we're going to help your your podcast grow an audience or anything. Like we're we're going to give you a, a larger platform. That's not true. Uh, okay, uh, from what I'm reading, like so, so a couple things, uh, you know, and I'll, I'll take your point. But they're introducing some new things. One of which they call channels, and it sounds like channels is part of their discovery engine. So if you are in, let's say the the, okay, I take your point that if every individual podcast wants to charge their own rate, then it isn't like an Apple one subscription where essentially you're inside and you're paying, you know, 30 bucks a month or whatever it is. And you get access to a bunch of, you know, exclusive content. That's kind of where my mind was going. You're right. If this becomes the next form of, you know, audio Substacks, and I have to pay five bucks for each podcast that I'm listening to, that becomes pretty onerous pretty quickly. What I did read though, in what Apple's offering is they use the term, they will protect your content. Now, I don't know what that means, but that is somewhat interesting relative to, again, you know, the fact that you could just take an RSS feed and plug it into some other reader, and now you've distributed that paid content elsewhere. Yeah, reading through the agreement, they if you all of the exclusive content in Apple Podcasts will be DRM protected with their okay. fair play yeah. stuff. 
Got it. Yeah. So airplay is also a big important part of that too. Nathan, do you want to say anything about your background? Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm a um, sort of a indie designer developer who built a tool called Pod.link, um, which was just a free landing page to help podcasters uh, link to their show across the entire ecosystem of podcasts and all the top podcast apps. So, you know, one like link and bio type solutions so that you don't have to just link somebody to Apple Podcasts. You can also link to your Spotify and your Overcast and all the way down the line. This is actually how Nathan got Nathan and I got in touch. I was using Podlink <laughs> um, basically because I liked the ability to link to. Essentially, I don't. You know, this is actually sort of a problem that I have with my partner. Like, I would send her links to podcasts, and at the time, I was listening to podcasts through Google Podcasts, which she didn't use, and so I was like, I don't really know what she uses, so I want to send her a link that's going to work. And so Podlink was kind of like the intermediary, um, and through that, Nathan and I actually sort of connected. And then I think you built an Alfred work- workflow or I asked you to build one. And anyways, I won't go too far down that path, but just to say that Nathan's coming at this, uh, and I don't mean to speak on, on your behalf, but I will, um, in the sense that he's able to link to all these different, different providers and all these different podcast players, all these podcatchers, if you will. And so this creates a very interesting, you know, you know, wiggle in this business. If suddenly there are a bunch of protected content that's out there, maybe there will be you know, profiles or landing pages for these protected pieces, but you have to pay in order to access the content. You know, that's a, a pattern that we're seeing more and more, especially in the video landscape and in TV shows and things like that. Um, and so it just makes it a lot harder and starts to break down, you know, what is the free and open web um, when you start landing at um, a bunch of, you know, paywalled content. Yeah, if the if the platforms all want a cut of, you know, some subscription revenue you're, and you're offering it through Apple and through Spotify and through, you know, three other apps... Um, you know, they're still going to want to promote it as if it's one thing. Um, and so that, that, that's the challenge for, you know, anybody who's building tools for podcast creators, they're not going to be able to rely on, oh, well, it's just one single RSS feed. Um, and I, and I have ways to look that up in each of the various platforms. Now I gotta, you know, maybe do a little bit more hard work. There's not open APIs to fetch all of this this data easily. I guess like the point when I, when I come back to like the creator economy, that seems really, really tricky, which is that. I mean, as so let me let me start from just brass tacks. As it is, as a creator, if I want to publish content to each different platform just to like keep all my you know followers up to date, that in and of itself, you know, is its own full time job. If then I need to also remember Are you saying the that are you saying that in a podcasting content? Context? No, I'm saying it okay, as sorry, a, a yeah. as an internet content creator yeah. that decides to publish on, you know, Medium, Instagram, you know, Twitter, Facebook. Yada, yada, right? Like that has become a very large amount of work just to cross syndicate your content on all these different platforms and to cut it up into reels, into stories, into who knows, right? Now what I'm suggesting is adding to that matrix a whole other level of complexity when it comes to pricing your content, remembering what is premium, what is not, you know, basically being able to feed the beast of free ad-supported content as well as premium content that is exclusive, or maybe it's freemium content, which is you know a teaser and sort of gets you into uh, a higher grade or, or higher paid tier. Yeah, so, Apple also lets you monetize your back catalog, so you could say mm-hmm. like, "Hey, day and date, it's free." But you know, if you want something older than three weeks, you gotta uh, pay. And yeah. alternatively, you can you know flip it on its head. Hey, paid subscribers get early access. You know, it's gonna go out in the in the RSS feed. You know, five days from now, two days from now. Right, right. So more exclusive or timeliness or whatever. Yeah. So I don't know. I just it seems to me that these are broad swaths where a bunch of companies are moving in, in this direction. Um, and that's the new kind of battlefronts that are being drawn. And for so long, Apple has been a fairly neutral 
player in the podcast space. And as of today, that is no longer the case. Recently, the world learned the power of artificial intelligence, a technology cybersecurity leaders have been leveraging for years. Now, as AI expands and evolves, those same security leaders are left wondering where humans fit into the next generation of AI-empowered security tools and solutions. Arctic Wolf, the industry leader in managed security operations, seeks to answer this question in their newly published report, The Human-AI Partnership. Access the insights of over 800 cybersecurity decision makers in North America and the United Kingdom to better understand how organizations are weighing the benefits and risks of deploying AI tools. Uncover the biggest obstacles to turning AI and human engineers into a formidable team. Discover why the near-term benefits of large language models are being upended by a crucial flaw in the technology. And learn what the rise of AI tools mean for human practitioners moving forward. Get your copy today at arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. Guys, we don't have to choose between hair growth and our health. Nutrafol's drug-free, whole-body approach promotes hair growth from within. No compromises, just better hair. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement brand with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster-growing hair with less shedding. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day. See results in three to six months. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 84% of men showed improvement in their hair after six months taking Nutrafol's men's hair growth supplements. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair for a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com slash men and enter the promo code RIDEHOME. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com slash men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com slash men, and enter promo code RIDEHOME. That that is, uh, 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 and I'm I'm only going to speak narrowly about the the podcast space sure. again. And I I'll ho- I hope you guys aren't thinking that I'm like being too pedantic about it because this is my space. <laughs> I mean, it is your space, so yeah. But you what defer. I what I what I will say is this: is that um, uh, as podcasters, that most of the people that I know that are doing um, uh, subscription stuff, they're on Patreon. They're paying at most 12%, so the 30% is a non-starter. It would be interesting if there was going to be some sort of like, uh, Jesus Christ, there's a giant truck going by outside. Um, uh, if there was some sort of like algorithmic uptake, like that's the the shoe that we've always been waiting to drop in terms of like the the Spotify stuff. And it, at least as far as I know, unless you've been bought by Spotify, it hasn't happened yet. Like the the, the partners that they have, like Pushkin, who has like you know the Malcolm Gladwell podcast yeah. and and the Michael Lewis podcast and things like that, and NPR or whatever. Those are the sort of partners that you would expect them to have. in. if if I am podcasts that I know that are making six figures with Patreon, um, there's no reason to go to Apple uh, to do this, to give away an, uh, you know, double, uh, to double yeah. your take to somebody else. There's nothing that I'm seeing, and I've been trying to uh, read as we've been talking all this stuff, that there's any sort of algorithmic uptake on this. So, like, <clears throat> I, I, and I, this is actually a good thing. 
Like one of the things that I'm always fearful of if I wake up and I find out that Apple is too involved in the space, mm. I every day that I wake up and RSS isn't broken <laughs> is a great day. And so <laughs> even though that even though they're doing this and they're for the first time um, getting into the space and and trying to monetize it. They're doing it with one hand tied behind their back, and they're only doing it on this sort of subscription sort of stuff. So it's like basically everyone, you can ignore this. You can join them if, you, if, if they want to write you a check or whatever, or you can keep doing Patreon. So like this is what I'm saying where I feel like this is a nothing if you're a podcaster because there's nothing that they have proposed here that would make people leave Patreon. There's nothing that would be like, oh, I've never thought of doing a subscription thing. Um, if people want to do it, great. Apple it has the platform for it. But there's, there's, no, there's nothing that is in any of these announcements that is like, oh, I would really consider this because all of a sudden I think they can double my audience or something like that. I just like, okay, I, 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 will, I will accept your point. Like it's, it, is a, it is a good and fair point. And I guess I go back to the way in which Apple launches and rolls out products, which is that if you think about the, the very first App Store you know, and what it offered, it was very, very primitive and very, very basic. Apple has a real tendency of you know, coming out with something that's just the bare minimum and then growing up and building up from there. Now, I'm not saying that they will, but if you look at the amount of energy and movement around content around Apple TV and Apple TV Plus, and then you look at like the App Store, and podcasts have been kind of like, I mean, ironically, they've actually have this enormous back catalog of content that's just been freely distributed for years and years and years. And yes, Apple but, but is people have been, saying, this is this is where I'm saying people have been monetizing this. You just are not aware of it. <laughs> like that, that no, no, has no, been no. going. That's, on. that's yeah, not what I'm saying. That's not yeah. what I'm saying. Like, and people were monetizing apps before the yes, app store. Yes, yes. Okay. What I'm saying is, if you play this out over the next ten years. What does this look like as far as a piece of important type of content that is, you know, it provides value for AirPods. It provides value for being in the Apple entertainment ecosystem so that when you subscribe to become an Apple customer for life, at some point, this content may be available to you as well. And that may drive more revenue for people over the longer term, over the long horizon. Like to me, this is a bit of a squeeze on Spotify. Oh no. And and in fact, that's what I was going to say, but, uh, and then I'm going to get off my high horse. The best thing about this is, is that I would prefer Apple to have woken up a little bit as opposed to just letting Spotify roll the space. Yeah. I would much rather if, if you had to, if I had to choose between, a Spotify or an Apple taking over podcasting. I hope neither of them ever succeed in doing that. Uh, um, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather it be Apple. So, but but I I'm glad that Apple is not just continuing to sleep on the space. So if you're right, if this is just a, a first stirring, then that's great because yeah, I'm I'm I am not impressed with Spotify at all <laughs> and some of the moves that they're making. Interesting. Yeah, I think you can you can view this as not as an either or with Patreon for the time being. I think a lot of podcasters yeah. can yeah. just you know set up a subscription show on Apple Podcasts yes. to get the free real they're estate. N- that they're they not never asking for before. exclusivity. It's not like a, a Joe Rogan or a or a, a Ringer situation. Like you can do whatever you want. It's just another option. They're not asking for yeah yeah. And you can price it to take an take into account Apple's 30% cut so that you walk away with the same thing um, and just hope that the, you know, the Apple audience is not as price sensitive. 
Um, but I think where the, the launch partner that is the most curious to me is the athletic. Yep. Because they offer mm-hmm. like their their bundle is all of this writing on the athletic website. And the, for those, this whole time they've said like, and we kind of have podcasts too. You got to listen to them inside our own app where it's not really the best podcasting experience. Um, and they eventually like slightly opened that up a little bit. But here they are like joining, you know, as a full-fledged like, you know, competitor, to, like right there next to Luminary as like, oh no, podcasting's as as if that's our whole thing. That's, and that's, so, that's a good I mean, point. Yeah, I was wondering, yeah. I was going to want to bring up like, mm-hmm. how does this fit into the News Plus audio stuff or is that interesting? Yeah, are these totally separate mm. subscriptions? Right. Um, like you're s- subscribing to the Athletic Podcast Network as a separate fee from your news thing. You can't. You most likely cannot connect your accounts in any way. I haven't heard any like whispers around, you know, something like that. It's not like they can comp every single, you know, person um, who already is paying on the website, and then Apple doesn't get a cut at all. So this. So, is, I mean, this is this is such a good point. Just in terms of, you know, one tying subscriptions to the, the Apple ID into the Apple user. And, of course, sign-in with Apple is, is a big part of their strategy, especially in Safari and on the web. And so as that increasingly rolls out, then you can imagine that there might be you know, satellite websites that you can go to to access exclusive content that is driven through Apple Pay. Um, and so that's, that's an important part of this as well. And then this other point where we move away from the concept of podcasts as being this special you know, kind of syndicated format to one where it's just asynchronous audio consumption that when you maybe subscribe you know, to The Athletic in the podcast app and then you hop over into Apple News, suddenly you're getting access to exclusive content part that's part of your subscription that's folded into Apple's other properties. And so, Brian, in some ways, that actually answers your question about algorithmic amplification. Yes. Because if, let's say, I have a premium subscription to the Technium Ryan Home podcast and I go into the Apple News app and I'm browsing around and seeing a story and then there's a podcast that's listed as related well that gets to be pretty well interesting and also benefit to me the most interesting thing to me would be if the next step is bundling like people are starting to do right. on Substack, right like yeah. if if apple suddenly said well uh there's one subscription and you can join it and you'll get a cut depending on how many downloads you get like a spotify sort of Esque model, yeah. like yeah, yeah. Right, right. which I've been waiting for Spotify to do. Uh, let me let me just do one more thing here, and then again, I really hope I'm not. People don't think I'm I'm hogging this. This is something yeah. that I have to also tread lightly on. I got it. Um, uh, okay. Various people have various ideas about what is a loss leader, uh, <laughs> and I'm thinking uh, of people, or or not a loss leader, but a um, customer acquisition vehicle, yeah. and. People like The Athletic and people like Substack have different ideas of what that is. Uh, and, and, and I would say, I hope that, I think I can, like, The Athletic thinks of podcasts as customer acquisition, mm-hmm. and maybe they're changing their strategy so that they're monetizing that, versus other people like Vox think of it in reverse. Like, there are certain media entities that, that, that podcasts are their bread well, I think and butter. Like, like, The Economist is a really good example of this. They yeah. put out a bunch of really, really great podcasts, and it's to drive the print subscription, which I find sort of right. backwards and So what I'm, what I'm trying to say, treading lightly, is in yeah. this world of athletics and, and sub-sex and things like that, and, and there's, it, you know, there, there's multiple SKUs, a multi-SKU business and things like that. <laughs> right. Various people have different ideas of where podcasting because everyone just wants that ARR. 
It just yep. depends on what they think the most valuable part of that AR that they is. Produce yeah, is. exactly. Yeah. 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 I was curious, Brian, um, you said that you'd rather like Apple would be the lesser of two evils versus Spotify to take over podcasting. I'm curious why, because I would prefer a world where, you know, Spotify has all of audio and the big tech companies continue to have all their fingers and all their pies. Um, if, <laughs> because you can sideload RSS into Apple Podcast and you can't sideload RSS into Spotify. Well, that's that's now. Just like the exclu- they're not doing exclusives now, but like, that's yet. I would say. <laughs> like, okay, as 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 carefully as I can tread, I think from my perspective, when I look at Spotify, their goal is still to increase their margins vis-a-vis what they have to pay to record companies. And and so that podcasting is basically wide open and free versus like these these contracts where down to the penny you have to pay for stream and things like that. So <clears throat> I am not I am not impressed by what Spotify is doing in the space yet because I don't know how much they value audience building. I think that this is just their get out of jail free card in terms of margins and, 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 and being, you know, married to the record companies for their entire business. Um, yeah. I think, I think you and I are a little bit different on that just because of the experience. I don't know. Yeah. 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 But, but then look, listen, and, and you know what, we need to wrap up. So we, we, we don't have to go into this now, but um, (laughs) the fact that they, they, I don't, I do not, when, when, if you download my podcast from Spotify, you're not downloading it from an RSS feed. Like they, take from my RSS feed and then they feed it to you something else. Like I listen, I'm an old man. Uh, I believe in the open standards and the open web. Um, I don't want RSS to be killed. I don't want it to be Spotify is just the new person that takes an an open part of the web and um, throws a fence around it. Like has happened to, you know, everything from blogging to whatever. Right. I think that 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 makes sense. Yeah, Wesley, you want to you want to chime in here? Yeah, I have I've I've been saving up my points, so please bear with me. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> um, just to tail off what you said, uh, Brian, about um, RSS, and you don't want it to die. I wanted to highlight that this new subscription model is not RSS, which means they are not bound by the restrictions of RSS. Mm-hmm. So we're not just talking about video, we're not just talking audio, but this opens the door for interactive content. Yeah. Um, if you've ever ever seen the book, um, uh, my kid had this. It's like there's a monster at the end of this book, right? With where it's yeah. street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the, think about that uh, possibility with subscription models or something like that. Um, and uh, and have you heard of ASO? It's kind of like SEO, but for App Store optimization. Yes. Uh, that is going to be a huge driver. Like right now, there's a lot of podcasts that say, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts. And right. you turn on the subscription and you get high marks. I bet that's going to help with the ASO for a lot of people. So that's a big, big incentive uh, for people to adopt this. And my last point, just throwing this in here. Yeah. Um, don't be surprised if there's like a malformed RSS feed that crashes or causes a security risk to Apple Podcasts, and they have to turn off that feature to sideload RSS feeds for security reasons. Yeah, interesting. You don't think that after all this time they would have like sanitized like all that RSS stuff? 
It'll well, be I mean, an excuse, though, I think is what yeah. you're saying. I see. Maybe. something that's interesting, like, with Spotify and podcast, where it's a, a pay-per-podcast uh, model versus when I first saw the headline, I was expecting it to be, like, a bundle sort of setup. With Spotify, or what do you mean? Yeah, with Spotify, yeah. Uh, I was really curious, because I was like, okay, yeah, Spotify, I just get pay one price, and I get all this stuff. Like, no, no, it's like a per-creator, yeah, per-podcast yeah. setup. Yeah, what, I, what I've been seeing uh, in the little hints that I've noticed, um, as well as other conversations, is just that Spotify does seem to be um, enabling, you know, exclusive, you know, downloads where you can unlock it, like, on an individual basis. It also unlocks um, podcast interactivity. Uh, specifically, I know they're, they're exploring polls and Q&A. And to Brian's point, I actually think that Spotify is actually pretty focused on audience development for podcasters. And, I, you know, Brian can tell me that that's, you know, BS because he's not actually seeing any of the results. But I just, you know, feel like Spotify is, clo- well, I don't know, I feel like Spotify is closer um, to working with, with artists specifically and to building out their fan base and to bring in a lot more different types of data onto artist profiles. And they'll do the same thing for podcasters. Whereas Apple just notoriously, you know, going back to like iTunes ping just doesn't really seem to do well when it comes to allowing for dynamic content and moving really quickly with trends and with culture. You know, they're much better at producing jewelry than they are at producing, you know, kind of like, you know, lavish events and experiences that people, you know, interact through. So well, Spotify has to make this work, right? That they're yeah. like not profitable yet or barely profitable. Yeah. This is, yeah. this is, they have to make this yeah. work. Apple for this, for them, this is a rounding error. Like, yeah. Which That's is a great point. kind of the point that I I was I was making as well. I, uh, Chris, we we should wrap this up, but we should yep. also make room for anyone that's on stage right now to, yep. uh, you know, tell uh, promo whatever any you want. Any last thoughts? Yeah, any, yeah, yeah. Any, any shout outs? Sure. Mm-hmm. Any any podcasts that you run that are premium subscription? Wesley, account? since you were up first, you can go first. Let, you want us to follow you on Twitter? What 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 should we know about you, Wesley? Yeah, follow me on Twitter, Wesley83. Of course, it's super easy to follow me on Spaces. Uh, just click my profile. Uh, but I want to uh, promote my company daily, which is uh, we're doing some amazing stuff. We have some a couple of launches next week um, that I'm not going to spoil. But uh, uh, please follow the daily account at uh, Get Daily. Um, or sorry, Try Daily. <laughs> um, so follow, follow Try Daily, and um, it's going to be pretty earth shattering, in my opinion. So wow, wow, I, 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 it's 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 going to make some news. So um, keep your your ears there. Wow. All right, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go in order. Uh, so Amelia, you're next, at least on my screen. Oh, I'm, I'm the last on my screen. <laughs> uh, so I'm, I used to be the executive editor at VentureBeat, and I've got I'm dabbling in newsletters now. So no podcast to plug, but not yet anyway. Uh, but one is a monthly one called Phi to Psi, which is about the basically what you see in science fiction and how it's happening in our world. So fiction to science, basically, and it's monthly, so it's not that often. And the other one is Big Tech News, which is just uh, what Big Tech has been up to in, in the week. So that one is weekly and yep, they're all on my profile. So at ePro. Thank cool. you. Cool. And uh, all right, we're going by my screen. So Steve, you're next. Hey, this is Steve Moser. Uh, I guess final parting thought on the Apple event uh, is I think the biggest part of the event was the M1 chip and the iPad and having up to 16 mm. gigabytes of RAM and the future possibilities for pro apps. So I just can't wait yeah. to see what they do next with that. Um, mm. But as far as what to plug, um, uh, follow Mac rumors, follow me. Uh, Steve Moser. Uh, also, I have a side site called Tape Drive, where I try to go uh, kind of deeper cuts 
into little Apple changes, but also recently I've gotten into uh, digging into iOS app changes. So trying to find those uh, hidden gems in oh, uh, betas and talk. other app updates. We should talk. Definitely. Steve, also, also Steve, Steve makes a good. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Steve makes a good point, though. I feel like we didn't talk enough about the iPad and it getting the M1 and what does that actually mean because it already was on ARM. So like what? We're terrible hosts and we get off on our own tangents. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, that was not that was not meant as a criticism. It's uh, I just thought it was interesting. But actually Steve, Steve, it, it, 10 seconds. Will we get an M2 chip? Is the next generation chip coming this year? Um well yeah, I think what is it did Apple say was it in 2 years they would hope to complete the transition? Uh, so yeah, I hope, uh, you know, if it's, if it's going to be November, December, uh, mm. something, if the M2 chip or M1X, I mean, I'm all off now on, uh, and whenever you think, you know, Apple's naming scheme, they, they, <laughs> they twist it. Right. So I thought it was going to be the A14X. There was even code in there that said A14X. Uh, but then they're like, boom, M1 chip. And then, oh yeah, this is M1 chip with the full 16 gigabytes of RAM. So, uh, yeah, I definitely, I think it's a uh, possibility, but uh, you know, the, the marketing names are really hard to come by in the code. And uh, same thing with uh, those advanced heart, hardware yeah, details. I, That's all. Yeah. I, I wasn't asking you to name the chip. I just want to know when I can update my MacBook Pro to – I don't want to do it on the Gen, the gen 1. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, all right. So the last person on my screen is Nathan. So, Nathan, uh, you're up, and then we can get out of here. All right. If you have a podcast, check out pod.link. It's a great Lincoln bio style solution for, uh, you know, promoting your own show everywhere. Um, at the beginning of the year, PodLink was acquired by PodSites. Um, so if you're advertising on podcasts and you want to measure that success, uh, check out PodSites.com, like Pod Insights smashed together. Um, and then the other thing you should check out is now that I no longer am working on PodLink uh, in my nights and weekends, my next side project is an API to enable the next generation of podcast platforms. So check out episodes.fm to Ooh. hear when that's coming next. That sounds Fancy. good to me. And it sounds, sounds like, like some good news. both Chris and I will be fine. On that side. <laughs> uh, thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone that's listening. This will be put out on the Tech Meme Ride Home this weekend, Saturday afternoon, usually. Um, thank you, Chris. Yeah. Thank you, Brian. Thanks, everyone. This is the tech meme ride home experience following the apple event on april 20th 2021 this is a great conversation i appreciate everyone for being here and we will do these again sometime soon in the future Thanks. thank you all